This is the How to Share podcast, where we help you find your story, write your story, and share that story with the world. With loads of experience marketing, hotels, restaurants, and influencers, your host, Amy Dreheim, will help you craft stories worth sharing. Stories that do more than sell a room or destination, they inspire. Here's your host, marketing expert, author, and travel blogger, Amy Dreheim. This is the How to Share podcast, episode 42. Today, I'm reflecting on a year of podcasting and a year of pandemic life. It's hard to believe that we've been living through a pandemic for this long, and it's almost disorienting to look back on the last year. So much has shifted. For the hospitality industry in particular, we've been badly bruised. Many hotels were forced to close their doors altogether for months. Some are still working on a reopening plan, while others will not reopen. For restaurants, it's much of the same, with one stat citing that one out of three restaurants in New York City will be forced to close permanently. The hospitality businesses that have managed to weather the storm have done so with the help of their communities, their core team working extra hours and cross-training on different jobs, and really taking some chances when it came to trying new things and reaching different audiences. Some hotels, like the downtown Clifton in Tucson, Arizona, became safe havens for the neighborhood in the midst of the pandemic, protests, and an undercurrent of police brutality. You know, it's abundantly clear that the U.S. is in the middle of a reckoning. We've marched, we've mobilized in support of BLM, in protest against ICE, and in solidarity with marginalized communities. We've learned to use our voices, not to center ourselves, but to speak up and speak out against oppression in all of its forms. At least, that's what I've learned. And when it comes to marketing hotels in this last year, it was impossible not to let the social and political events and movements inform our messaging. It felt almost negligent or tone deaf to ignore it. After all, travelers and our future guests were living through this, and as much as everyone needed an escape from the news cycle, they first needed acknowledgement that things had changed, that things were different, and that we were experiencing a reckoning as well. So in this past year, it's probably not surprising that marketing, like everything else, became more challenging, and not just because travel halted to a stop. The bigger challenge was managing to communicate throughout multiple crises, figure out what to say, and to really tap into travelers' and hoteliers' mindsets. You know, I joke that marketers should really be getting psychology degrees because that's the level of human understanding we're tapping into to appeal to today's travelers and to meet this moment. So, After a year of really digging in and creating marketing campaigns in the thick of pandemic life, and a year of building relationships with non-traditional hoteliers on my podcast, I've certainly learned some lessons, and I'm sharing those with you today. Here are 10 hotel marketing lessons from the past year. Lesson one, evergreen content does not exist in today's world. We figured this out pretty early on in the pandemic. 
See, for years before that, we'd look back at last year's campaigns and duplicate them. It was a shortcut that proved incredibly effective. Not only could we see which campaigns drove web traffic and bookings, we also knew that the travel cycle would repeat itself. We knew certain things to be true, like when school gets out in June, we'd see a bump in bookings through Labor Day. But all of that changed a year ago when kids were out of school and when travel was not recommended. So marketing isn't nearly as simple nowadays and travel habits have changed and who's traveling has changed. So for instance, hotels that historically relied on citywide events and conferences, they had to completely shift their marketing efforts from group business to transient in hopes of staying afloat. And from a content marketing perspective, itineraries needed to change to reflect outdoor, socially distanced activities, which meant updating website content, updating stay cycle emails, and what we were sharing on social media needed to change too. That old idea of set it and forget it went out the window in favor of double and triple checking all of our content and updating it based on the state or regional travel guidelines and restrictions of the moment, right? Those things were constantly changing from week to week. So as we look into the future, I'm going to stick with this, the idea that evergreen content just does not exist in today's world. Lesson number two, you can be contactless and thoughtful. So with evergreen content out the window, marketers were also charged with writing lengthy COVID landing pages, outlining a new, mostly contactless guest experience. We wanted people to know they'd be safe, and the safest way to travel would include as little human interaction as possible. Hotel operations teams created contactless check-ins complete with QR codes, plexiglass, and for hotels that could swing it, fully mobile check-ins, mobile room entry, and concierge services, all mobile. So as a marketer and frequent traveler myself, I couldn't help but wonder if we'd taken hospitality out of the hotel experience by removing all of the human interactions. Turns out you can be contactless and thoughtful. So a couple of examples of how we made sure guests felt cared for. One was simply communicating. When we closed, we continued to send emails to past guests, providing updates from the GM on the property and what was happening and letting people know that they were missed. Then when hotels began to welcome guests back in, certain outlets had to remain closed. So like the spa, dining and fitness centers. So we had to get creative to rethink those experiences. And we started offering guests things like in-room spa kits and guides to the outdoor dining experiences in the neighborhood. And we even created some Peloton suites for guests needing to prioritize fitness during their stay. So in these ways, we were able to ensure that while guest experiences were now contactless, they were still thoughtful. Lesson three, hotels aren't built for everyone. When the pandemic began, we learned some new language. We were introduced, of course, to coronavirus, droplets, and mask wearing. Toilet paper became a hot commodity and grocery delivery became essential work. We started to Zoom, and we haven't stopped. For those of us who are non-essential workers, we were relegated to working from home. Kids were also home from school, and vacations were canceled. With more time to pay attention to the world around us, 
Systemic racism, which had been brewing in our country for 400 years, came into focus. Along with that came the realization that essentially all of the institutions in our country are built by old white guys via generational wealth and opportunities. So not only are there incredible barriers to entry for anyone that doesn't fit into that category I just mentioned to become hotel owners, but also hotels built by one type of person are intrinsically going to serve that one type of person. In my interview with Damon Lawrence on episode 13, Damon shares in detail the many ways he realized that hotels were not built with him in mind. He also recognized that people that looked like him weren't represented in hotel ownership or really higher level hotel management. So Damon created Homage Hospitality, the first hotel group dedicated to black culture. In its very first iteration, the Moore Hotel in New Orleans, Damon realized that by building something for the most marginalized, he'd built something for everyone. Interviewing Damon set me on a journey to connect with and learn from more non-traditional hoteliers in our industry, like Monica Lane, the owner of the Downtown Clifton and the Citizen Hotel in Tucson, Arizona, on episodes 21 and 22 and Jamila Ross, the co-owner of the Copper Door B&B in Overtown, Miami, on episodes 30 and 31, and Robin Staten on episode 35. Their reasons for building these hotels go so much deeper than owning a piece of real estate or creating guest experiences. Their perspectives and stories are incredibly eye-opening, unique, and inspiring, You know, I'd be remiss not to mention Davon Reeves in this, too. Davon is a hotel consultant and investor who has set a goal to create 221 Black hotel owners in 2021. I interviewed Davon on episode 38. When we talk about building back our industry better than before, let's not forget the systemic barriers to entry and let's make room at the table for these voices to be heard. Lesson four, in response to the pandemic, discounting rooms is the last thing we should be doing. In normal times, when occupancy dips in the shoulder season, we lower our rates to incentivize travelers to stay with us during less desirable times. But during the pandemic, discounting rooms is the last thing we should be doing. Aditi Verma gave me this advice on episode 16 with good reason. After the last recession, it took years for rates to normalize after we deeply discounted our inventory. So this time around, Aditi vowed to do things differently. Plus, this recession was different. The pandemic was the reason people weren't traveling. Safety was the reason people weren't traveling. So if we shifted our focus to making people feel safe, We wouldn't need to lower our rates, and the people who were willing to travel would travel as long as they felt safe enough to do so. As marketers, we really had to fight the urge to drop rates to fill rooms, and instead really hone in on sharing the new guest experience, complete with social distancing and certain limitations, and find a way to spin that as positive instead of negative. We started promoting things like seclusion and time in nature, outdoor adventures, and just space to unplug. And slowly but surely, the bookings rolled in. Lesson five, the OTAs are a necessary evil. 
So I have always dogged on the OTAs, but there's this thing, this meta search thing that's a major factor when it comes to hotel bookings. We all know organic search comes largely from Google, but there's this secondary search channel, meta search, which is essentially lists within search results. OTAs dominate meta search because of their size and volume. They're like the digital encyclopedias of hotels in any given place. As a result, they get the first click. Travelers are using OTAs as search directories to zero in on the best hotels in a given place based on their ranking, their imagery, and who's coming up first in the list. Savvy travelers know that booking through a third party comes with certain restrictions, though. It tends to be harder to cancel and the available inventory might be limited. So they take what they found on an OTA site and paste it into a browser to poke through a hotel's individual website to decide if that's where they want to stay. That right there, that moment is an opportunity to keep the guest on your site and convince them to book direct. OTAs grant hotels this billboard effect, the ability to be found online, and in many cases provide that small window of opportunity to get that direct booking. So from a marketing perspective, we can't shun the OTAs altogether. It's up to revenue managers to really work with that system by limiting and fencing the available inventory and for marketers to ensure the listing is fully optimized for search with maybe that little something something that would make a prospective guest decide to open another browser window and visit your website. For tips on driving more revenue to your properties and managing that necessary evil of OTAs, listen to episode 25 with Sagar Bakta. Lesson six, inclusive marketing is not a quick fix. I wanted to dive deeper into how to make marketing more inclusive. And what I didn't realize was that I plunged myself into the deep end. Thankfully, Joey Hamilton joined me on episode 23 and 24, and Sonia Thompson joined me on episode 37 to help me navigate these waters. First of all, inclusive marketing is not a quick fix. It's not as easy as putting black people into your print ads. Because if you've been marketing to the masses, you've been missing out on niche markets. And one image will not fix all of that. One message will not fix all of that. Inclusive marketing is about figuring out who you want to include and who you want to exclude. It's about marketing to the niche instead of to the masses. It's about fostering cultural intelligence within your organization. The bottom line is this, people want to see themselves and the people they love reflected in your brand, and that takes work. If you'd like to learn more about inclusive marketing, listen to episodes 23, 24, and 37. Lesson seven, accessible travel is more than a checklist. I had another reckoning recently when I connected with Natasha Graves on episode 41. Natasha is the founder of Vacayability. I realize that we've been doing the bare minimum when it comes to accessible travelers. We've relegated accessible travelers' needs to ADA guidelines and basically a checklist, and we haven't spent any more time thinking about the accessible travelers' wants and needs. Natasha Graves went down to Sedona for a week of doctor's appointments at the Mayo Clinic. An avid traveler with accessibility needs, Natasha wanted to experience 
more than the hospital hallways during her time in Arizona, so she went online to plan her adventures. Hiking was the main attraction, of course, and while some trails were marked as accessible, there was limited information as far as what accessible meant. After all, accessibility needs are extremely varied and are often thought of as just mobility-friendly needs, but there's a lot more than that. Natasha couldn't hike, so she needed to figure out what she could do instead. And guess what? Natasha ended up flying a biplane up and over Sedona to experience what she couldn't experience on foot. As it turns out, accessible travelers want to have experiences just as much as the rest of us. And by providing the bare minimum, we've been limiting what they can and can't do at our hotels and destinations. My conversation with Natasha has caused me to rethink the ways we market hotels as accessible and what more we can do to reach these guests. And you know, it's worth noting that accessible travelers represent a $60 billion industry. If you'd like to dive deeper on this topic, listen to episode 41 in full. Lesson eight, out with the old and in with the new. Hotels are pretty old school. We tend to lean on old ways of doing things. We tend to wait for things to break before we fix them. When new technology rolls around, like mobile-friendly websites and booking engines, we tend to be late adopters. So it's no surprise that when the pandemic reared its head, there was a big learning curve for hotels, indies in particular, to get on board with the mobile technology that's frankly been around for a while. There are better ways to check in guests that remove the friction so checking in feels seamless instead of like a doctor's appointment. And no, I'm not hating on temperature checks. I'm hating on check-in processes that involve a front desk agent who seems to be wrestling with an outdated computer system or is trying to reach housekeeping to figure out if your room is ready when it's already half past six. As Bashar Wally points out on episodes 28 and 29, we should be using technology to remove the friction. Bashar was also the first of several guests who've pointed out how ineffective guest reviews are at gauging guest experiences. We need to rethink why we're checking boxes instead of asking guests how the experience made them feel. After all, in Bashar's words, service is what you deliver. Hospitality is how you make people feel. Lesson nine, be an early adopter. On the marketing side, we've had to come to terms with the fact that marketing channels are constantly evolving, just like technology, and our strategies need to adapt along with these changes. For example, as more and more people spend more and more time on social media, on channels like TikTok, Clubhouse, and Instagram Reels, hotels that were sticking with static feed posts on Instagram saw their engagement take a nosedive. That's because users are using social apps differently than before, spending time in video feeds and engaging with content in a different way. With the algorithm shifts towards video content to respond to what, you know, their users were doing, hotels that haven't been able to get on board with video storytelling have been missing out on millennials and more. Hotels that are adapting to these new technologies out the gate are able to reap the rewards of engaging with travelers in ways that are proving to be incredibly effective. 
And, you know, we're not just talking about millennials here. As it turns out, 40% of users on TikTok are moms. And we've known for years that moms and women in general are making 80% of purchase decisions for their families. This isn't about reaching the millennial population. It's about reaching travelers where they're hanging out online. I said it before, I'll say it again. If a picture is worth a thousand words, a video is worth 10,000, maybe more. We're seeing 10 times the engagement on social video content than we are with static imagery. For tips on getting ahead of the curve when it comes to marketing on social media, listen to episode 36 with Austin Tassone. Lesson 10, join the conversation. And if you need to, lead the conversation. So when it comes to thought leadership in the digital age, it is so important to once again be an early adopter. And the last lesson I've learned is to join the conversation. And if the conversation isn't happening, then to lead the conversation. So something really interesting happened in January. I got an invite to an app called Clubhouse. And as soon as I got on the app, Damon reached out and said, hey, I started a group. It's called Hospitality Professionals. And in a matter of about 30 days, maybe two months, we had thousands of hospitality industry professionals join the club, Hospitality Professionals, on Clubhouse. And we started hosting weekly hospitality happy hours to chat about what was happening in our industry, what was happening in our world, and to talk through some of these lessons that I talked about today, what we've learned from the pandemic, how we've shifted our marketing strategies, how operations has shifted what they're doing. These conversations have been absolutely informative, uplifting, and connective in a time where we were still separate. So... I invite you to join the conversation on Clubhouse. Hop on there, search for the Hospitality Professionals Club, join us. From there, you'll find me, you'll find Damon, along with several other podcast guests I've mentioned on this episode and from this past year. So together we host these events, Hospitality Happy Hours, as I mentioned, Hotel Your Hot Seats, and it's amazing to see what happens when we're all in a room together. You can ask questions, you can listen, you can engage, you can jump on the stage. It's just one more example of how technology really can move our industry forward. Well, that rounds out 10 marketing lessons I've learned over the last year, and I've left you with plenty of homework and listening to do. I have had so many aha moments in this past year, both on my podcast and in practice, figuring out what would resonate with guests and travelers. So now I want you to tell me, what are some of the lessons you've learned as a hotelier or a marketer this year? You can share your comments with me on Instagram at How to Share Podcast via any of my websites or join the conversation over on Clubhouse. For the show notes and details from this episode, go to howtosharepodcast.com slash 42. As always, keep sharing your stories. Thanks for listening to the How to Share podcast. If you loved this episode, make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. How to share.